so so what you're telling me, Mac, what I'm hearing is that Netflix is going to keep making you watch Old Meets New over and over again until you truly appreciate how much better old people are than you? Yeah, basically. That's rough, buddy. Hey there, Internet. I'm Annie. I'm Kit. And I'm Mac. And this is the Gem Jam, where we do an episode-by-episode recap of the 1980s cartoon Gem and the Holograms, because it is truly outrageous, and in this episode, and the one after it, it is truly eponymous. This is episode 23, The Gem Jam Part 1, where you might notice that this is where we got our name. This is a two-parter. Today we're going to be doing part one. Both of these are written by Chrissy Marks, uh, which means that we'll actually be working by some sense of continuity again, and also some sense of, like, hologram rules. Uh, And then we'll also be disregarding rules about holograms and physics, but, you know, that's par for the course. So the holograms are throwing a fancy mystery party with lots of guests and stars and the Starlight Girls catering again. I mean, is this supposed to be some kind of, like, example? Donate to the Starlight Foundation and maybe we won't make these little girls serve you food. Uh, I guess it's equally as manipulative as those World Vision commercials. Lindsay is also here, by the way, and she's in, like, this gigantic lime green party dress that somehow she makes work. But Rio's at the soundboard because of reasons. And when Jerrica comes over, talks to him for a bit, and then kisses him on the cheek, Lindsay whistles at them. I kind of think it's supposed to be like a woo-woo kind of thing. I can't whistle. Or maybe she's just supposed to be telling them to get a room. Oh my god, are we getting the show on the road or what? Or she's just trying to get their attention. But either way, it came across as she was just whistling at them because funny. Uh, It turns out that Jem has a big surprise announcement uh, that is going to be happening at this fancy mystery party. And of course, if there's some kind of angle that will, quote, give them the edge... That means the misfits want to know about it. They're watching Bonnie work the door. Because, you know, an eight-year-old can be relied upon to bounce unwanted guests. Yeah, Bonnie is working security. Are you kidding me? It's at this point that I was I, I was trying to figure out what this place was. Because is this a public venue? Is this a private house that the misfits broke into? Do we know? Uh, I'm thinking that this has to be some convention center. Because the room they're in looks like one of the many rooms that I and probably Mac were crammed into while we were waiting for the band to go up on stage. It's just empty and there's chairs. Let, let's let's run down our, our list here. We have the Misfits, we have Eric Raymond, and then we also have Tech Rat is here. Tech Rat basically drops the line that is, you want gimmicks? You got them. Because gimmick is the word that the Misfits are going to be saying on repeat for both of these episodes. To the point where it stops sounding like a word. Tech Rat has basically invented live streaming from a handheld camera. It's a shoulder mounted, it's one of your old like 80s cameras, like a news camera. And guess who's going to hold it? Clash in a pink wig and a, what is she wearing? Is that a turban? Turban-esque hat? And here we have Clash as the master of disguise, forgetting that last time she needed a makeup artist to do this. Not to mention, the last time Clash, like, snuck around, she wasn't even wearing a disguise. She just got an admission ticket into SeaWorld. Uh, speaking of being awful at this, Eric Raymond is also awful at this because he can't think to answer basic questions. Such as, how is Clash gonna get into the party? Pizzazz even pops in like, yeah, this is invitation only. Eric loses it, like, he starts tugging at his collar. He has no idea. He didn't think this far. Come on, Eric, you're better than this. No, you're not. This is the same Eric Raymond who didn't know about the zoning laws and tore down buildings anyway to build this hypothetical record factory. He looks at the eight-year-old guarding the door and he's like, you know what, Clash will come up with something. It's impenetrable. So Clash actually does come up with something and it's incredible. 
It's the most evil thing that's happened on this show. Hey, your father's looking for you in the lobby. Bonnie buys this instantly. Bonnie, may I remind you, is a foster girl. She buys this instantly. She's like, did he, did he have red hair? Clash just like shrugs. So Bonnie takes this as a yes, and she bolts off to the lobby screaming, father! This is our introduction to the, to the Bonnie plot that is going to be her main thing ever since she got her eye operation. Luckily, Ashley, through all of her trials and tribulations and sneaking aboard a trunk to Venice, Ashley at least has a more level head than Bonnie. And Ashley just basically walks right up to Bonnie and goes, but you don't have a father. Just twist that knife a little more, Ashley. Bonnie argues against him because apparently Bonnie's mom told her that her father is an American with red hair. We don't actually know what happened to Bonnie's mom. I think it's kind of implied that she died. Ashley is like, okay, sure, so you have a dad, but he's super not here. And Bonnie just sort of stares into the camera. I will find my father someday. I will! And if this were like a young adult fantasy novel, this would be an indicator that her dad's like a demon lord or something. He's a wizard. He's an evil wizard. She's going to inherit his powers, but use them for good. And then she's going to go on a quest and find love. So Bonnie with her dad, this is kind of our B plot of this of this arc. And we are about to come across our C plot, which is Chrissy and Michael Jackson. Legally friendly Michael Jackson. It's And it's also not adult Michael Jackson from the 80s. This is Michael Jackson from, oh, about the 70s. Chrissy is, of course, catering because this is what a starlight girl has to do to earn her keep. She's got glasses of punch on a little tray. And the kid, like, grabs one, drains it, and demands that Chrissy go and get him another one. He also gets her attention by calling her, hey, you. She's like, when you learn to walk, you can get it yourself. And after this little altercation, we finally get to this freaking mystery announcement. The Gem Jam. What's really great is videos they're filming with her little camera, right? And Clash in disguise comes up and like nudges her or shoves her a little bit. And video looks over and doesn't recognize her own cousin in a wig. In her defense, it's her own cousin in a wig and glasses. Oh, right. The disguise is impenetrable. The Gem Jam is basically an excuse for Gem to put on a concert with a whole bunch of other famous people. Or copyright-friendly versions of famous people. Let's run down the line of our guest list. Our first guest is the Grandmaster of Rhythm and Blues, Roland Owens. AKA not Stevie Wonder. We have Mr. Lips and Hips himself, Ron Cox. AKA not Mick Jagger. Who grabs the mic and goes like, yeah! We have the First Lady of Soul, Lena Lerner. Okay, not Tina Turner, and they weren't even trying on that one. We have Lena Lerner's son, Dominic. Okay, not Michael Jackson. We have a guest who can't be with us tonight, Luna Dark. Not Madonna. Originally, her name was going to be Cherry Bomb, but for some reason, people didn't like that. Like, the producers did not care for that, so Christy Marks had to change that. It's also a pun on Luna Park. And our last guest, Johnny Deacon. Not Bruce Springsteen. But when he sings, he doesn't sound like Springsteen. He sounds like Bob Seger. And uh, we'll also have Johnny Deacon's drummer later, but this is our guest list. And also the holograms are here. Oh, they've been around for like, what, a year at most at this point? They haven't even put out a second album. And they're doing a concert with the legends of music. To be fair, they might not actually be the, the pinnacle of music, not the holograms. Because as we all know, the Misfits songs are better. 
Because the misfits who are watching this from Techrat's briefcase camera are completely horrified at all of this star power and they have no idea what they're going to do. And Eric apparently has some kind of idea. His idea is to give the misfits Tron outfits. Put on these speed suits, guys. These Sentai costumes. He just has them, these like these, these jumpsuits with like neon rings on them. And he's just like, put these on. And Stormer, to her credit, is like, are you serious? Eric just, like, says, trust me. Pizzazz snatches it, and she just snipes at him. That'll be the day. So meanwhile, back at the Gem Jam party, Ashley is being shoved aside by reporters. She turns to the camera and says, one of these days, they'll be asking for my picture. And then something weird happens. It's time for an Ashley song. This is this is an episode where we have some of these Starlight Girls singing songs. We'll have another one in the next episode. Here's what was going on with that. Hasbro actually approached Christy Mars with the idea to give the Starlight Girls their own songs because Hasbro had decided to make dolls of these girls, of Bonnie, Ashley, and Chrissy, who are sort of, you'll notice, our three main Starlight Girls. I actually do kind of like Ashley's song. Yeah, Ashley's song is basically called I Can See Me, and I... I would personally credit that to Ashley and the Starlights, which is her band. But if this were like a full length song, this is something that I would genuinely listen to. And I'd also like to point out that like, we only get two songs in this episode and they are the Ashley song and the Bonnie song. And the animation for both of these music videos is so good. Other music videos aren't even ever this good. And like the music videos in the Gem Jams parts one and two are so good. All of the budget is in those. So yeah. Ashley, in this episode, wants to be a rock star. Ashley kind of changes her mind a lot, but I guess if she's going to be a doll, then it would probably be best if she wanted to be a musician. Yeah, so they can sell her with the little guitar accessories. So after Ashley's little song is done in her head, in come the Misfits. The new and improved Misfits. Which is the Misfits, but we're wearing these laser suits. They actually shoot lasers around. How would you begin to photograph that without, like, glare killing the entire picture? And may I remind you that the Misfits have just barged into an invitation-only event. This is why you don't use sad orphans for your security. This is invitation-only, so we invited ourselves as Pizzazz. I love Pizzazz, you guys. She's the worst and it's great. No, what's what's the worst? Are these dystopic punk thugs that march in. What are you talking about them being the worst? They're the best. They're they're quote unquote fans of Gem and demonstrate this by basically wrecking the place while screaming, Oi Gem! Oi Gem! So among our punks, we've got Uncle Sam guy, Quinch, who has a pink mohawk and is in a peasant's blouse. We've got DR, who's in fuchsia, and he has a blue kerchief, because blue kerchiefs are punk. We've got blonde Wolverine. We've got a guy in a green smock that goes all the way down to his knees. Who's also barefoot. And we've got a skinhead wearing a belly shirt. It's also worth noting that in the commentary for this, Christy Marks says that she has no idea why any of these guys look like this. This was not something in her script. The animators just made this and handed it to her. You can you can listen to her commentary throughout like this fight scene because she just sounds so weary. She's like, I don't. Why is he dressed like Uncle Sam? I don't. Why isn't that guy wearing shoes? I don't know. I don't know. And I don't, I don't know. I get the feeling that the character designers just took all the, the traits from the rejected gem costume pile and threw them on these punks. Oh my god, these guys are like, and I love these guys, they are so 
anime too. They are so anime dystopic thugs. They're like all of the background designs for all the characters in like in crowd scenes in the show. These guys start wrecking stuff. One of them smashes a camera with a bat and that's the commercial break. Saying that these are Gems fans is maybe the most subtle smear tactic that Eric Raymond has ever utilized. So once these thugs start breaking up the place, Clash just yells, the misfits are right because the misfits leave. Let's follow them! And a bunch of people actually fall for it. We get to watch one of the punks bite a chicken and pick it up whole with his mouth. We get to watch Aja try to kill blonde Wolverine. Yeah, okay, so Jem turns to the hologram and he's like, shoot, we've got to do something. And Aja basically cracks her knuckles and says, with pleasure. This is a point where Christy Marks had said, like, in the story Bible and in her early pitches, she had always wanted Aja to be more of a tomboy than she was in the show. She wanted Aja to, to know, like, a martial art or something or some kind of self-defense thing. So she remarked that she was particularly delighted that she was able to have Aja do a judo throw on a straight fighter character, basically. Aja came into this world screaming and covered in somebody else's blood and she's leaving it the same way. Uncle Sam is in the background beating a broken table with a rolling pin. Up on the stage, there's a couple thugs that are going to take guitars and Jem says, Synergy, I need some punk repellent. And the only thing I have after that in my notes is, in all caps, Synergy, what the hell? I have Synergy turns the guitars into horrible nightmare beast. Like rainbow dragon monsters? How do we begin to describe these things? How did Synergy decide that this is what a punk repellent was? What is, what is wrong with Synergy? If this were any other show, this would be an indicator that Synergy's about to, like, turn on mankind. These thugs are obviously scarred for life. They run away, and as they're leaving, Johnny and Rio trip them. They were leaving, they trip them, and they look very pleased with themselves. That's all they do. That's the entirety of their contribution to this. Lena Lerner basically stabs her stiletto heel into that guy's, like, bare feet. Lindsay then kicks that guy in the stomach. And all the guys are doing is tripping people. They're the worst. Even the Starlight girls are able to, like, tie up a couple of thugs. They take down cyberpunk Uncle Sam. And then the last two thugs, who for some reason refer to each other as DR and Quench, Jem screams at them, you ruined my party, and they're like, bye. So Jem apologizes to everyone for the ruckus. Johnny Deacon places a comforting hand on her shoulder, and the camera immediately pans over to Rio, crossing his arms and scowling. Rio's jealous of not Springsteen. Wouldn't you be, though? If Bruce Springsteen stole my girlfriend, I'd be okay with that. So it turns out that uh, not Springsteen and not Tina Turner are staying at the Starlight Mansion. I think according- there's like three limousines here, and unless Dominic took his own limousine, I think it's supposed to be implied that, like, all of the guests are staying there, but we only ever see Johnny, Lena, and Dominic. And what, they can't get a hotel? Would you rather stay in a Motel 6 or would you stay in a mansion? I don't know. I would rather stay in a, a, like a fancy hotel with room service, honestly, rather than in someone's house full of children. Chrissy is like, oh my god, he's our guest. I have to try and be nice to him. Oh god, here we go. So she wants up to Dominic and it's like, hey, I'm Chrissy. He drops his suitcase while staring right at her and says, here's my bag. Chrissy takes it, follows him. She's like, about the party. And Dominic is like, you had your chance to be nice to me, so don't bother trying now. And then he takes her room. Dominic is the worst. In Chrissy's own words, he's a horrible, arrogant pest. So meanwhile, on the stairs. Meanwhile, on the stairs, Bonnie is lamenting her father with his red hair. She wonders what it would be like to have a dad. 
And she gets a whole music video about that. It, which is Bonnie's A Father Should Be, which it's a beautifully animated piece. And again, the singer is really good and sounds like it fits Bonnie. And then it all comes crashing down. AsianRiff.mp3. Oh no. Oh, right in the middle of the song. You're like, you're kind of enjoying it. You're kind of nodding your head and then... Oh no, why? Oh god. And then we also get like this sequence of like... I'm not sure if this is a, a memory or if this is something she's visualizing, but... This is a visualization because she was like uh, an infant when she left Vietnam. Okay, so she she's like, she's imagining meeting her dad, getting scooped up by him, dropped off at a hut, and then he disappears into the smoke. So, interesting story, tangentially related to this. Uh, this is something that is listed in Rock Gem, and I think Christy Marks might have mentioned this in the commentary. Early in Christy's career, she worked on a project called The Children of Anne Locke, a true story about two women in Vietnam who saved an orphanage of children in Anne Locke. One of the women actually played herself in the movies, and uh, she had adopted three Vietnamese girls. One of the girls was named Bonnie. But uh, but that's why Bonnie is here and why Bonnie is going to be specifically from a, a place called Anne Locke in Vietnam. And after her song finishes up, not Springsteen's drummer arrives. And he's got red hair. Uh-oh! Immediately, Bonnie's like, that's him. That's my dad. Papa! She goes up to talk to him and have this weird, awkward, kind of adorable moment. And at one point, Jem says, oh, that's one of my, I mean, Jerrica's foster girls. And nobody notices this. Because they're all they're all looking at Ed, Bonnie, and Randy, and not Springsteen says, "Oh, girls just love Randy." Ew. Randy is also able to identify Bonnie as a Vietnamese name. Bonnie takes this as confirmation, flings her arms around him, and says, "I knew I'd find you." Oh boy. So after that really awkward moment, we now switch to an entire sequence that is framed around one self-contained crisis point. The Misfits and Tekrat and Eric and Clash are all atop Misfits music, and Clash is still in disguise for reasons? Yeah, the same disguise, too. Is it, like, just one day? Is this later today? Pizzazz immediately jumps in to this plan that Eric seems to have with, what a dumb idea. Considering they're all just standing on the roof holding balloons... I think she's right. Because for one thing, they're tiny balloons with misfits written on them in equally tiny font. And they're starting from the roof of a building, which means they're not going to float up past like anybody's windows. Misfits music is also like one of the tallest buildings in this downtown area. The balloons are going from the roof to the stratosphere. Meanwhile, back at the Starlight Mansion, where they're playing volleyball on the world's most poorly maintained lawn. Speaking of cringeworthy, here comes Rio in some freaking cargo shorts. He's here to talk to Jem about something? And Johnny? He's here to talk to Jem about how he needs to talk to Johnny? The point is a helicopter shows up. And they're like, Johnny will be back in a minute. Oh, here he is now, in a helicopter, landing in our backyard. Johnny Deacon can fly a helicopter, everybody. Jim, wanna ride? It's like she has to ask Rio's permission to go on a helicopter ride. Rio's super dramatic about it. He lets out this huge sigh and goes, I can wait. Darn straight you will. So this whole section in my notes is entitled Helicopter Garbage. Johnny takes Jem on a flight downtown. Jem points out starlight music and he's like, oh, I'll circle around and is like, what, he's maybe... 
eight stories up at this point because he flies by like the top window of Starlight Music. Is he allowed to do that? I get the feeling he shouldn't be allowed to do that. Anyway, meanwhile, on the roof of Misfits Music, they release the balloons. And of course, this is coincidentally timed with when the helicopter's flying overhead. These balloons must be made of the toughest material. Yeah, and on top of that, helicopters, whenever the blades are spinning, tend to push air out, not suck everything in. The balloons get caught in the jet intake. That makes the helicopter stop helicoptering. And then they start falling. Memento Mori, never buy a balloon. That's our commercial break. Is Jem and the King of Rock and Roll are about to be killed in a helicopter crash. And they're about to crash into the top of Misfits music and take the Misfits with them. But of course, balloons can't do that, so the helicopter starts working again. Not Springsteen manages to get the helicopter started up again by ramming a button on the console and saying, come on, baby, come on, baby, over and over again. And this works. And the helicopter starts helicoptering again. And they just fly home. Yeah, oh, it's fine. It's fine. Everything's fine. We almost died. It's fine. They, they get out and immediately Jem runs over to Rio, throws her arms around him, and we get an O-Rio. Yeah, she's like, I thought I'd never see you again. If I'd had a near-death experience, that would not be my first- Oh no, I'll never see Rio again. And remember how these balloons are basically indestructible? The holograms find a couple, like, on the helicopter. Intact. With misfits on them. And then Not Springsteen says, and the misfits always this much trouble? And the holograms all at once in a you know cartoon moment say, always! And then they start laughing and Jem in the background is like, ha ha ha, I almost died. I mean, they all giggle. It's like, ha ha ha, 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 ha. we almost die a lot because of what they do. <laughs> Our lives are hell. Wacky, wacky hell. What's really notable here is that not Tina Turner, like, pops one of the balloons with her terrifying claw-like nails, and it's amazing. And then she's like, the Gem Jam will put them in their place. And this reminds me of nothing more than Howard Sands in, like, episode two, after the misfits have, like, broken onto his property and ruined him and almost killed him. He's like, but if the misfits win the contest, they get to live in the mansion. You'd think that when other pop stars came into this, they would think it's a little bit weird. So I guess this is just the state of affairs. Pop stars try to kill each other all the time. There's a slight deleted scene here uh, between this scene and the next one where Clash actually sneaks into the Starlight Mansion and finds some information, probably by doing what Clash always does, which is uh, grabbing the nearest object and walking out with it. Instead, our next scene is that Techrat apparently lives in a cyberpunk dystopia junkyard wasteland. Technodome? There, there are two places Techrat can live. One is cyberpunk dystopia. The other is a plain white apartment with minimal furnishings. I believe this place is canonically called the Rat Nest. Techrat is living his best life. So the Misfits and Eric Raymond are hanging out in Techrat's house. Clash runs in with the aforementioned information, which is apparently uh, Luna Dark's flight information. So uh, Techrat has built a gadget for them. That does a thing. After he keys in Luna Dark's flight information. It, it looks like a calculator. It doesn't even look like, like a graphing calculator. It just looks like a calculator. So he hands it to the, to the misfits, which is always a terrible idea. He's never going to see that thing again. And then we go to the next day? Later that day? Techrat's home wasteland is always dark at all times. So it's very difficult to tell what time of day it is there. 
So Jem goes to the airport to pick up not Madonna. And all the holograms pile in the car with her. But the misfits get there first. And they're wearing chauffeur outfits. They enter the airport. They look up at the arrivals. Uh, they say, there's Luna Dark. She's getting in at that gate. They press the button on Techrat's calculator. And it scrambles the arrival times. And switches around the gate numbers. The misfits get to the correct gate. Uh, they pick up Luna. They say that they're picking her up for Gem or something. The holograms actually spot Luna and Stormer leaving uh, at the baggage claim. So the misfits just straight up kidnap Luna Dark. They kidnap not Madonna. This is why they make you take off your shoes at, at airport security now. Because otherwise you could be kidnapped by glam rockers. What a dark time the 80s were. So Jem totally ditches the other holograms. And she goes to hop into the rock and roadster and we go through a series of some of the weirdest hologram switches when it comes to physics ever. She gets in the rock and roadster and it shortens to a taxi cab. The taxi cab is like half the size of the rock and roadster. Like the first three feet of the roadster are invisible right now. Then they arrive at the Gabor Mansion, where the misfits go in first. They leave uh, Luna Dark to her devices. Stormer apparently took all the bags. Poor Stormer. So Jim has the rock and roadster via hologram, then turn into the misfits van. And suddenly she's sitting two feet higher than she should be. And the front of the van is even shorter than the Rock and Roadster. And she pulls up to the Gabor Mansion, sitting right up next to the gate, which means that the Rock and Roadster is currently going through that gate. She plowed into it. Anyway, Jem has disguised herself as Pizzazz. She's at least better at it at this point uh, than she was last time she was Pizzazz. She's no longer trying to affect some kind of Brooklyn accent. But the guard has just seen two Pizzazzes in the span of five minutes, but is so terrified of Pizzazz that he ignores this and lets her in. Jem parks her car that is apparently not wrecked and did not smash into a gate. She goes to search for Luna by pressing her face against the windows of the Gabor mansion. And then guard dogs. Jem is about to be torn apart by a pack of vicious dogs. The end. Join us next week. Wouldn't it be great if the show had been canceled right after this? Oh my god, yes! And then we get uh, we get replays of both I Can See Me and A Father Should Be. And then we have a superstar segment. Today's superstar segment is a little girl who is lost in a crowd that is apparently a line outside of a concert and Bonnie, Jem, and Kimber are waiting in line like peasants. This little girl is apparently, like, lost her big sister. And Jem and Kimber give the sensible advice of, like, talk to a security guard or stay where you are, you know, or something. We, we see later that this is an adult woman who comes to pick up this little girl. Why would you bring your baby sister to a concert? She's not gonna have fun. Alice's is like the Wiggles on tour. I mean, this little girl is like maybe four, maybe five. She's teeny. What's she gonna get out of this? Anyway, that's the moral of the story is if you get lost, ask the Renicops for help. But uh, the sister and the little girl reunite and they're like, you did the right thing. And Jem just sort of sticks her head in frame and doing the right thing makes you a superstar. And that, dear friends, is the end of our episode. Join us next week for the Gem Jam Part 2, where hypothetically, Jem uh, is torn apart by dogs. You can find the Gem Jam every Sunday on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and YouTube. You can also find us on Twitter and Tumblr. We are at Gem Jam and at just about everywhere except Twitter, where we are Gem Jam Cast. We are also a Patreon-supported podcast. If you like what we do, you can give us a couple bucks. That'd be super cool. If not, spread the word. That's also nice. Speaking of Patreon... Uh, we have a couple of thank yous here for uh, people who have sponsored the Patreon for a minimum of three months. 
And we have two thank yous for this episode. First is Helia. Thank you, Helia. And the second is my mother. Mrs. Kit's mom herself. My mom supports our podcast, you guys. Hi, mom. Hi, Kit's mom. Thanks for giving us dollars to talk about glam rock. As a reminder, it only takes a buck to give you an on-air thank you if you've contributed for uh, three months or longer, so three dollars will get us to say your name. So by the time this comes out, you guys may be aware that the gem movie is coming out impendingly. So you guys don't have to. We will be, in fact, watching it. Mac and I live in the same area and Kit is actually flying out to meet us. We are going to be in the Seattle area, specifically on the east side, is probably where we'll be going to see the movie and hanging out. If you're in the area, we are thinking about arranging a meetup. Please send us a message on Twitter or Tumblr if you uh, want to hang out with us and you don't have to watch a awful movie. You can hang out with us afterwards. While we yell about the awful movie. Of course, because we're all total lightweights, we'll probably be doing it at a, like, not bar. Maybe a diner. Someplace all ages. We know we got a lot of teenagers in the fan base. Yeah, and you guys are super cool, so we would not want to leave you out if you were able to join us. So, until next time, dear listeners, I'm Annie. I'm Kit. And I'm Mac. And this has been The Gem Jam, where you can't have your cake and be outrageous too.